0: To the adjacent self. Brought to you by the Conscious Leadership Academy at the University of San Diego.
1: We're your hosts, Kendra and Libby, and we're going to help you explore how to step into the best version of you. Thanks for being here. Good morning, Libby.
0: Good morning, Kendra.
1: How are you? I am having a way better morning than <laughs> Uh, I'm just having a good morning. Well, us go with that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad to hear that. <laughs> How are you? I'm good. I'm really good. I'm having a great morning awesome. too. Well, I'm super excited for this episode and really excited to learn today. We have Anthony Le- Lee Lee. Anthony Lei. <laughs> <Leigh. Leigh>. Okay. <laughs> Anthony Lake here with us. Um, We're going to have a great conversation about Asian Americans within the country, a couple of things about what's been going on lately within hate crimes and violence towards Asian Americans, and then some of the work that Anthony's starting to do with them. Before we jump into that, let's go ahead and open up with our one word. Yeah. So I'll go ahead and start today. And then, Anthony, we invite you to do the one word as well. So we'll give you a little time to think about it. I would say my one word today is hopeful. Mm. Mm -hmm.
0: That's
1: a good one. Yeah, I had a real come to Jesus moment last night and then some really good sleep. So I think uh, I woke up feeling pretty good, which I hope will last for the for the week. I can't wait <laughs> okay. to hear
0: more about your come to Jesus moment. <laughs> oh girl, we'll have
1: a whole conversation. <laughs> Libby, what about you?
0: I was thinking about it this morning. So like, okay, what are, Kendra's gonna ask me. I have to come up with an answer. <laughs> but you know what? I also had sort of a come to Jesus or come to reality moment over the weekend. And I think my word for today and maybe even like this week going forward is opportunity. It's been almost a year now since I was laid off from my job with the mm-hmm. pandemic. And now I realize that this is such a great opportunity for me to work on my own coaching business and my coaching practice. So, <laughs> you know, this is kind of my, my opportunity. Yeah. Awesome. I feel opportunistic.
1: And Anthony, do you have a word for us today? I do,
2: and it's funny because what you're you both are saying it. I think it's connected to your words, because the word oh. the shop popped up was pivotal. Ooh, yeah, love that. And I think it's because we're at this moment, and I think like I mean that's like part of my coaching business, right? It's called pivotal moments. But like, it's so true more now today than I ever imagined. Is that we're at this pivotal moment where we can really lead. Our community, each other, to like something better, or, or we might fall flat on our face. One mm-hmm. of those two,
0: yeah, or both yeah. could be a to, Yeah. <laughs> True, could be a but,
2: but I lean toward the uh the courageous path of like making it happen and like fail forward and learning.
0: Yes, yeah, you can fall, fo- fall you can fall flat on your face as long as you're falling forward. forward.
1: <laughs> mm-hmm. Yes, yes. I always forget that phrase "failing forward" until I hear it. and I'm like, oh my gosh, that is such like I don't know. It's so Impactful. Why don't I think about this more? But yeah, that's how you write progress. It oh, I got my sticky notes from Target. So it will be written down and post them a mirror. After this Yay. Right there. Good. <laughs> I love it.
0: So I will introduce Anthony. Anthony is a catalyst for leadership development in the Asian American community. And he graduated with his master's in leadership studies. And he is a leadership coach who works with people who are trying to find their voice. He also co-facilitates a civic leadership program and co-facilitates the Youth Leadership Academy, which is a program for aspiring young adult leaders. And then, Anthony, I know that you have a way to introduce your last name, which, you know, kind of looks like it might be Lee and then maybe it's Leigh. So go ahead and introduce that with your um, anecdote that you have.
2: Yeah, well, it's funny because like can just set me up perfectly for this one. You're welcome. So it's Anthony Leigh. It spells L E, but pronounced Lay as in legacy, as in legendary, as in legitimately your best friend. And let's go and let's get change the world for a better, for it to be a better place.
1: I love it. I love it. Yes, <laughs> legacy. Yes, all of that. That's, That's perfect. perfect. Thank you. Thank you. So awesome. Well, let's go ahead and jump in. So. Anthony, can you tell us about the work you're doing right now and then the work you're focusing on moving forward from where you are now?
2: Right. So, and it's kind of cool because I think I made myself to be like the leadership person when I was in grad school. I was just like so hardwired into that. But after I left grad school, I was actually, I was already doing this, but for the past couple of years, I've been focusing on leadership development, especially in civic sectors for the Asian American community. So what that means and what it looked like was that we were doing training to help people understand, you know, like how to get involved civically, right? How do you get on the board commission? How do you become an elected official and how do you lead once you get to that position, like that public position? And so that's what I've been working on because everything wants to be going on. I just feel like maybe there's something in the universe. I'm starting to feel that the transition is definitely really help Asian Americans more to find that courage to to find that voice and to share that voice. And we're gonna, I know we're gonna be talking about the violence that's been like um, the Asian American community, but part of it also has to do is that we have not been able to find that voice to advocate for ourselves, right? And okay. I think sometimes part of us is also really good at advocating for others, but we never learn to advocate for ourselves. And so the work I'm doing is like to help Asian Americans to find that voice, so that they can step into a place of courage and they can advocate in a more holistic way for others, not just the Asian community, right? But in solidarity with like the, the black and brown community too. Oh,
0: yeah, I love that. And I, I'm kind of curious, you know, what does leadership and voice within the Asian community in America look like right now?
2: You know, it's funny, because while even prepping and doing this work, I feel like it's always evolving to something more. And for me, it's pretty much at this point is, being able to recognize our own identity, recognizing our Asian American history that has been completely like bleached out of the history books. Right. I'm trying to find that and reconnect to that, understand where we are in the world, but also really learning how to express our own needs. So I live in San Jose, California. And for the longest time, I never understood why until like I spent more time exploring this, why like all the Vietnamese folks are in one tiny little corner of San Jose, Actually, when I say tiny, it's actually pretty big because there's our population. is The Vietnamese population in San Jose is one of the largest outside of Vietnam in the city in the entire world. Right. And so it's a big chunk of Vietnamese people. But we're so isolated. And I'm like, oh, why is that? I think part of it is because one is that the language barrier, two is just like we don't like to make trouble. We don't like to rock the boat. Right. And because, like, you Mm -hmm. know, we're just trying to like just do our own thing. Unfortunately, that's been taught through the generation, and we learn that like, you know to mind your own business. But in the face of injustices, we become victims, we become targeted, mm. and we also don't have the courage sometimes or the voice to speak up for other people and stand up for them. What it looks like now it's like being able to, yes, focus your own needs, express your own needs, but also being able to have the courage to speak up for what's right. And I think that's something that we're afraid of doing sometimes.
1: Wow. Yeah. My thought in that is, and I know this is the work you're interested in and and working on and also moving into is like, is bringing out that voice. What is even the first step if this has been for so long that people have been not necessarily like comfortable, but okay with not advocating for self or for speaking up right now?
2: I think the first step is just learning how to like, again, express our needs so the work I've done in the Asian American community, right, it was nice to talk about representation and increasing representation on all levels. Mm
1: -hmm. I mean,
2: that was like, that's my work's mission statement, right? It's like building a rightful level of, of representation. But now I realize the precursor to that, right, is having to express the needs. So the Vietnamese community, because we've been isolated for so long, right, like we don't seek out like support from the government when we need, like, for example, right? A lot of Vietnamese businesses were being hit hard because of the pandemic, because we had to shut down. A lot of them didn't even know they had access to like the PPP loan or the small business loans to support them and help sustain them. And I've, and I got a chance to see insight on the County side and they're like, Oh, we're trying to reach out to the Vietnamese community. But when you look at the, the, the relationship, it's almost like bare minimum of non-existent. And that's the example of there is being able to say, this is what we need. But mm-hmm. having someone to help bridge that, whether it's like translation or just empowering people to say, hey, this is this is what we want, or can you help us support in our business? And now it's starting to shift to hey, you know, some people are getting attacked, robbed, and day daylight when they're going to the supermarkets, to the bank. Mm-hmm. We need protection.
1: Right? Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. You know, I think that one thing a lot of people talk about is how. Asian Americans are being targeted now with these violent attacks and not realizing that Asian Americans have been targeted for, you know, racist attacks and violent attacks throughout American history. And now it's sort of amplified in the last year due to the coronavirus. But I think that, you know, what's interesting to me is that I've seen a lot of posts online. It's like, if you're not Asian, you probably don't know about this. So how do you. How do you get everybody kind of engaged and working together to kind of solve this conflict?
2: Yeah. You know, it's one of the reason why I'm really grateful for the Black community is because they've done a lot of work already in terms of creating the language for us to leverage. So a lot of it is about racial equity and racial justice work, right? Mm-hmm. And One of the things that we realize is, like, once you start understanding where the position, where Asian-Americans are at, you start seeing, like, some of the challenges. So, for example, right, I'd never used the word monolith before until I started exploring more of, like, the injustices that was occurring so prevalently. Like, I knew, right, how bad it was. Then you spend more time. It's like, oh, no, no, no. It's really bad. And one of the biggest issues is, like, people are projecting this image, making uh, the Black community a certain type of monolith. Mm -hmm. And guess what? the Asian community are still facing the same problem, are facing the similar problem, right? We have this idea sure. that we're the model minority.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And the other word is the perpetual foreigner. So the model minority is used against black and brown folks. It's like, hey, Asian people can do it. Why can't you, right? Correct. And so there's this image of like, oh, Asians are very successful. And so one of the things that like I encourage people to do is like, you know, spend some time and it's like, okay, so what's your understanding of the Asian community, right? And a lot of times is that they can't tell Asians apart from Vietnamese to Chinese, to Indians from Filipinos. And those are really important to recognize because once you start seeing the, those population, then you start seeing the history. Trend-wise, East Asians, they tend to come over for better economic purposes. Whereas Vietnamese American, Southeast Asians, like Cambodian, Laos, Thai, they came here because of like the Cold War, like, like the war in Southeast Asia. Right. And so mm-hmm. when they came here they were refugees and they're put into settlements where not not like come kind of neighborhoods where they had no resources, right? It was very, very little. Some have done really well. And they they use those stories to uplift other Asians and say, look at this folks. They did such a great job. Right. So obviously the other communities doing something really bad. Right. And so that's an example right. there. It's was like, no, 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 no. It has nothing to do. You just made an example of like some good handful of people. That's great. But you can't use that and say, that's the, entire story mm-hmm. so that's like the example of that they're recognizing that there's different levels of different asian american stories but some of them are being picked chosen and then now being weaponized against other groups yeah so being able to recognize like okay how is the story really helping us and not helping us the other one is like it's we could definitely practice a little bit more critical thinking i would start asking questions like for example like my like stuff like my east asian friends right chinese folks right they're continuously looked at as spies. They're continually looked at as the enemies, right? China has become a super powerhouse competing with US. But the nationalistic the nationalism that like, associated with American like politics makes China the enemy. Mm-hmm. Right. And that translates over and transferred over to like Chinese Americans too. Yeah. So now it's like, oh who is this foreigner? Right? You're not American because your people was the one who created the virus. You're the mm-hmm. where the virus came from. And when you take a step back it's like none of that is true. It's just false stories being pushed and perpetuated over and over, and then shows up as racism, racist attacks. And so being recognized, it's like recognizing where our bias and prejudice are coming from. Right? Yeah. And those two stuff right there could be a very good start. Mm
1: hmm. Anthony, you saying that, it makes me think of a friend I talked to over the summer. And he is also Vietnamese. And as he was running, two people started yelling racial slurs at them, at him. And he was just, as we were talking about it, I was like, well, what was that like? And he's like, well, you know, no one should be saying this towards anyone because it's a virus that really could have sprung up anywhere. It just happened to be in China. But I'm not Chinese. So they're just generalizing me again as just being in asian so they think that i'm to blame and it made me think of like how many people are experiencing this similarly to like the black community if we know we've heard police will hear black male running with a hoodie on and it could be any black male with a hoodie on that they think committed that crime like now it's we're hearing more of it is happening to asian americans I mean, this couldn't. This might not be the first time, but it's more recent because of the virus, and it's just so. I don't know. I'm sure traumatizing for them as it is for the black community when you endure stuff like that. But it for for me to hear it from someone I cared about, and I was just like, oh my gosh, did I like? And then you look inwardly and like, have I acted any way differently towards anyone? Since this started, you know, my thought, I remember right in the beginning when we found out this came from China, and I went to Target, and I was walking through, and I was walking past an Asian American man, and because we weren't wearing masks yet, I just walked to the side of him, and then immediately my thought was like, oh my God, he's going to think I did this because he's Asian American, and the desire, like, that's not all, I just don't want to catch what COVID is, because we didn't know what all it was. It was the first week of April that this happened. Mm-hmm. And so I know what that's like as a black person in America to be looked at a certain way or walk into a store and a thought of that you could be stealing or whatever. And I didn't want to perpetuate that onto someone else. And then hearing it happen to somebody I cared about and purposefully being called racial slurs really broke my heart.
2: Yeah, and a lot of it is rooted on, and I, this is my belief, there is, And I don't know how else to describe it, but there is a super deep consciousness that exists in American society or in the United States where you have to put each other against each other. And, And there's a lot of scapegoating as well. We're having this problem and we're really ineffective in dealing with the virus. Blame it on the Asians. Blame on the Chinese, but because Asians can't tell each other apart, white people can't tell put them apart, black folks, brown folks can't tell them apart, so we're just gonna lump it together, uh-huh. right? You look like you, you look you look like you belong from Asia, so I'm just gonna project and scapegoat you, and then you know it's racism and like it's bigotry because the like the the biggest like strain that came in the biggest infections, the source was Spain, I believe, and UK. But no one has said anything about it, right? For Spain, I think, it was the first one. And then the UK variant is like, what? why can't we call it the UK virus? Right? Because it always goes back to this idea, to the perpetual foreigner stereotype, which is anything that's diseased, anything that is that we can't control, it must have come from China. And because we can't tell Chinese people apart from the other Asians, they're all going to be loved together.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And that's what I feel a lot of times, because... I know my Vietnamese community, it's like, this is where we're trying to like stay out of, the, out of the trouble and not rock the boat. So if Vietnamese folks get blamed, it's like, oh, you Chinese people, Vietnamese people will then jump to their side and go, whoa, 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 whoa wait, wait, I'm, I'm not Chinese, I'm Vietnamese, right? Oh. I don't like Chinese people. And I'm like, oh my goodness, right? To protect ourselves, we'll just project on someone else as well. Oh. Not realizing that there's this undertow and this current of like bigotry and prejudice Right. That's just targeting Asians. Oh,
0: yeah. mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah, it's kind of that that easy thing to say, oh no, not me, the other right. guy. Right? Yeah. Like, oh no. Right. And not the Vietnamese. It's the it's the Chinese or and then the Chinese will say, Oh no, not the Chinese, it's the Japanese. Right. Mm-hmm. So everybody kind of pushes off the blame off of themselves and, and not that anybody's to blame, right. But that fear of being blamed kind of deflect that from myself and push it onto somebody else Mm -hmm. rather than, and, and I think this goes back to safety, right. It's, you really probably aren't safe enough to turn it back around and say, you're blaming me, but look at yourself Mm -hmm. and, and look within yourself and find out why it is that you feel like you need to just spread hate onto somebody else. Mm-hmm. And when you're the one being attacked, you can't really safely say, turn around and look at yourself, boo. Right. You know <laughs> That's not going to be safe. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. Now here's the kicker. Imagine that you're not feeling safe to respond back and say that was racist or that's, that, that's a really bad judgment. Now add on that you're an elderly Asian person
1: right. walking on the street, yeah.
2: And you're frustrated at this, all this whole entire monolith of this Asian perpetual foreigner who's disease ridden. It's so much easier now to attack because the United States is saying Asians are filthy, they're the foreigner. I will not be hurt or there will be no retaliation against me because I'm doing the American thing, which is mm. getting rid of foreigners. Mm-hmm. And that is the scary part of this, but that's like been going on since the very beginning of our country. Mm -hmm. Right, but we just wipe it away. For me, it's and it's funny because you're also seeing like an uprising like of Asian American voices because a lot of us grew up to say you know we'll just suck it up you know we're we're gonna struggle because we can persevere we're resilient. But I think part of it also is kind of funny is that don't mess with our aunties, our grandparents because we value them, our elders. So once you come after them, right, we're like, all right, gloves are off. Now we're coming back.
1: Yeah,
2: yeah.
0: And I think also what I found interesting is I I saw a post probably a couple weeks ago that was saying that the Asian elderly are really kind of an easier target because it's harder for them to assimilate and blend in with white Americans. You know, you talked about the model minority and Mm -hmm. kind of this idea that there's this adjacent, Asians are probably more adjacent to whiteness than especially like somebody who has darker skin. Mm -hmm. But with elderly Asians, you know, a lot of times they don't speak English, makes it so much harder for them to assimilate into white society. And so they stick out. And I think that when I read that, it made me really think about just our society as a whole and how wild it is that we view people who are white adjacent as higher than people who aren't white adjacent right and Mm -hmm. and how that plays out throughout all different races and ethnicities
2: yeah yeah well i don't know and and i don't know how i feel about that because it's our parents my parents i could speak for that part right they know they're not white but they really push for us to be assimilated into the culture Mm-hmm. And, and it's and it's 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 interesting now when we're talking about this because I'm like hmm I know the Asian community the elders the senior citizens they're they're easy targets because one they've been isolated for such a long time two because they can't speak English and they don't know how some of the system works they won't retaliate
0: and maybe even they can't because they're elderly right. The elderly population, I I feel like elderly and children often go hand in hand as being the populations that you protect because they're not Mm -hmm. usually physically strong or physically able to retaliate. Whereas if you were to run up on a young man, right, you might get your ass beat, (laughs) right? (laughs)
2: Right.
0: You push down an elderly person, like they're not probably going to get up and kick your butt.
2: It's, that might be true because a couple things are showing up, right? Cause this is why I said earlier, right? It's like, we can't be put into this monolith image. Cause I realized one part, right? I'm actually speaking from a perspective. Like I'm a first gen born in the United States. My parents are refugees, mm-hmm. right? The targets are Asian immigrants and refugees.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And so I, I can't even speak to just like the Japanese, Chinese, and the Filipino and Indian community who maybe have, have been here way before that, right? Because I know that in the Japanese community, they're really good activists, and some of them it's because they're like second or third generation who've learned. It's like, yeah, dude, my parents, my grandparents were in the internment, or some of them were like, I was in the internment camp, mm. right? And it's like, I say no more. Those who are more recent to the U.S., which is like me my family, I think we're now discovering our voices, mm. right? That's something to also acknowledge. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this is kind of like a little back behind the scene, right, for our audience members. Like, you know, oh, Anthony is a leader for Asian American community. I was like, well, sorta. I'm actually just following the lead of those who came before me. <laughs> but I would love to be a catalyst for others so that they can find their own voice too.
1: Yeah. Um, something I noticed too about who is being targeted and even the treatment that the news has given these like elderly Asian people. As I was researching for this episode, they're not even naming them it'll be 89 year old woman or 84 year old man and i guess my thought coming from obviously an african-american perspective is when do we get to the say their name when are we going to be able to hear more of their story and how is it being perpetuated even from media that they are silencing these people by not even naming them and yeah Yeah, I found two names in my research. One was, and I'll say their name because I want to absolutely give them that respect, Vika Ratanapakti. I I listened, so I hope I said it correctly. I listened a few times. But this is an Asian-American gentleman who was attacked in Northern California and he's 84 years old. He was actually murdered, I want to say, last month. But otherwise yeah. I couldn't find any names. I couldn't find anything. And I don't know, maybe I didn't dig deep enough, but I was just like, what I don't know, frustrated because I'm like, I want attention given to this as well. These are people yeah. who are loved and cherished, you know, just as much as Tamir Rice and Trayvon Martin and all that. Like, why are we not also saying these names?
2: Part of it, I can answer to that like kind of what you're speaking to is. It's protection. The the Asian community, elderly community, and actually I'll probably just say just like the community I live in, right? We're just afraid of retaliation. Mm. It's also ingrained in our family structure too. We don't tell people our outside problems. Mm. As I do more organizing work, which is cool. So I'm organizing a rally, right? And some of the conversation was, I... Don't know what our needs are. I don't know how to articulate that, right? Mm-hmm. That's a challenge. Mm-hmm. But the other one was I've seen these violences. People have been mugged, people I care about who's been robbed. Some people have been shot and killed. El- Asian elderlies get into the most accidents, traffic accidents, because they're walking really slowly across a crosswalk and they were struck, down and killed.
0: Oh my God. Right? And
2: and so that's a narrative story that's not being told.
0: Yeah.
2: And a lot of it sometimes is so painful like we just don't have the energy to just like tell the whole world Uh right there's that and there's also the retaliation part it's like you know if I say this and my name's out there they can track me down and like come to my house and hurt me even more I don't Uh want I I just don't want this bad luck following me Uh and so there's a lot of that is happening underneath what's going on in the world Uh and so a lot of my work now is also like really practicing the holisticness so I think Part of the conversation is also like, you know, we're working at a slower pace. I love how fast and how fast we we're able to mobilize. But I think the Asian community is also like, look at the nuances to making sure that we're careful that so that work is being holistic, mm-hmm. making sure that it's equitable. And here's, and here, I'll give an example. We should make hate crime, uh, the penalty super high, right? It's like, we got to make sure it's like people are really paying for it and punished for it. Yeah. That sounds good until you realize the people who are perpetuating some of that crime against Asian Americans are black and brown people. True. Then you go, well, they deserved it because they did it. Then you go like, no, no, no. You have to look at the systems of what's created all this. Mm. Right. And that's when we have to step back and say, just because you get an eye for an eye isn't really helping anybody. Mm-hmm. Right. And so part of my work is now educating. Them. It's like, okay, how do we look at this holistically? See everyone as a whole, and really making sure that the policies isn't just Acts of revenge, but actual acts to like, heal, and restore our community, and
1: mm.
2: that's when you start looking at things like, "Wow, this is why Asians are hated against Black and Brown people, and no, that's why there's like, an anti-Blackness that exists in Asian community, and that's why there's an anti-Asian feeling, right? That's that exists in the Black and Brown community, right? And I want to add one more story to that. So yesterday, Assembly Evan, Assembly Member Evan this California Assembly Member, right, had a person messaged him on Instagram, right? Called him a, the C word, a communist, right? They need to go die, go back to your country. And so he posted it. He posted it he said, Hey, you know, this person here was calling me on a slur, right? We need to stop this API hate. And this guy was Mexican. And so I checked on Instagram, it's gone. So I'm like, okay, right, he probably got blasted by the community, right? But I reposted on Facebook. And then the guy reached out to me directly and he goes, Hey, I've been hacked. That wasn't me. But it was so easy to fit that narrative that because he was brown and there's a, a sentiment of anti-Asian that exists within that community, mm-hmm. it was so easy to latch on that narrative. Uh, and I had to take a step back and go, wait, 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 this is not building better equity. Okay. right? So I reposted it. It's like, hey, so this is the conversation I had with the person. He agreed to post and share the news that you know, there's anti-Asian hate going on. And I asked him, can you help me be an advocate and ally? He was like, yes, I, I'm more than happy to do this. Right? And it hurts me to see what's going on. Right. So divide and conquer. Yeah. So we have to look at legislation, the technology, all that part, and go, how do we really be holistic in this approach? And that's Mm -hmm. like the work that Asian Americans are slowly going through, the people I'm working with, because they are trying to keep that in mind. Because we know what it's like to be used, to be looked at as a monolith, that just, oh, praise us. Only when it's necessary, but we're going to attack you from all corners, all sides. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah. That, you know, it makes me just think, like, where do Asian Americans fit within the conversation? of race in America yeah. and how do we, I think oftentimes the conversation is black, white and, and, and Latino, right. Especially when we're talking about border and, and immigration, but Asians often get either ignored or left out. And so how, like, you know, right. Like that's what I've seen. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, you're laughing, but
2: <laughs> no, I'm laughing because two instances, when we were in grad school, right and we had like this equity panel right and we're like okay what do we need right and i was the only asian person in that room and the group was like we need better recruitment right and like a diversity right people of color in this our enrollment and the person was looking at me and goes and she was like talking to everybody but she looked at me directly right it's like we need more black and brown people here what with asians it's like wait what do, it's like because we are not looked at as like marginalized because we've been quiet, right? And the model of my my northern myth yeah. Yeah. and the, the perpetual foreigner myth, right? Pretty much says like, mm-hmm. you know, we're not part of that conversation. I was doing some job interviews, just like, you know, practicing my interview skills. And everyone else was like black and brown and we have whites, right? And everyone's talking about equity, diversity. And I had I had fun doing this. I just kept them throwing in Asian folks in there, right? And all of them were like, oh, that's a good idea. Yeah, let's we definitely gotta consider that. Oh, that sounds really good. But it wasn't until I talked to the Asian person. As you know, like Asian people are not in this conversation. The person went wild and she went, Oh my goodness, yes, that was the first time I've heard this, but yet for some reason we're always ignored. Mm -hmm. So it speaks a lot. It's like it's not in the consciousness yet. So just get us into that conversation. Make it, if it has to be a checklist, we're off the bat at the beginning. Fine. Do we have our brown, brown folks, black folks, Asians, whites? Okay that's just the beginning not like that's the success metrics
1: Mm.
2: i think that's that's just been going on over and over right we are left in the conversation it's not our fight i'm like well equity fights for everybody once again it's like we get pushed to the side because we're not american enough apparently
1: wow yeah that makes me think of i was listening to Brene Brown's podcast, Unlocking Us, this morning. She had Sonia Renee Taylor on, who's amazing. And they were talking about persons of color and how they are pitted against each other within the system that is built in America. And I don't know if it was Brene or Sonia said, am I being a cog in the oppression of someone else? And I sat there and thought like, okay, but can I be a cog in the oppression of someone else if I'm still being oppressed? But then, like, I remember talking to you last week, Anthony, and we have absolutely been pitted against each other to continue to oppress each other and to, I think, as Black people, other Asians, because we do tie, I, in my experience, I'm one Black person in America, but in my experience, we do tie more closely with Latinos than we do with Asian-Americans in fighting for civil rights, fighting for racial equality and equity. And I mean, obviously I don't know why, and I can't solve that because we've been taught that way. And our histories have been whitewashed or even how we've helped each other in the past in civil rights movements. I remember you said that there is an Asian-American woman who was present within the civil rights movement. I'm like, I didn't even know that, it was that active, you know, like that we were helping each other that much. And then here we are 50 some years later, and it's still continuing where I'll look at diversity panels or I'll look at diversity and inclusion positions or the work that's being done. And it is very rare that I do see people include Asian Americans. The thought of that, of, the unfairness that there is, even though like, yes, as a black person, I've always been treated unfairly in this country, but now maybe it's time to look past myself as well because we are a more vocal community. I guess that's my thought. And like the work that I can do and be a part of in being an ally towards Asians where I haven't been before. Yeah.
2: So fun fact for the audience member, two people who notably stand out that are Asian Americans. They're also part of Black Panther, Richard Aoki awesome been writing books right and so we use some of his materials for some of our leadership courses and my favorite it's yuri kochiyama like i'm just learning more and more about her work badass japanese american woman was also very close to malcolm x supporting him oh. stand by him and the day that malcolm x was assassinated she was there holding him as he died right it's a reminder for me, right? When the day I heard that, it was a reminder that there is an ongoing solidarity community building between the various communities. But once again, the whitewashing and the putting us against each other,
1: uh-huh.
2: erases all that, uh-huh. right? And added on to immigration, like new population coming in. And so that's why I'm a really big proponent of like, hey, you know, we need to study like some of our Asian American history. Because then they would give us clearly insight to like what has really been going on
1: uh-huh. and what's the
2: deeper underlying consciousness. One of my favorite theories that I come across in this work is called like the racial triangulation theory. If you look at a spectrum, right, black and white, it's usually like a binary that's like between these two groups. But the person who wrote this was, her name was Claire Kim. She threw Asian in there. We're not quite white. We're close to being white, but we're not quite white, mm-hmm. but we're above blacks. So obviously in a system that's meant to like destroy, pit each other, divide and conquer, then you're going to try to fight to the top spot, but all the energy is being directed and, we, and projected onto like, Oh, it's these two groups that are causing pain for each other.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And her paper was really good because it gave me insight. It like, this is how we're set up. And the only way to dismantle that is we have to recognize some of our privileges and be like, okay, this is how we got set up for success. And we have to say we need to let go some of this, right? Because it's for a better community, better world. So I appreciate you, Kendra, for saying that too, right? And Libby, I appreciate you being here to like being my friend all these years too, right? Because it's it's symbolic to like having us gather at a table, being an invited at a table, right? But having that like, deep conversation, like, all right, what can we do to remove our bias or ego so that we can actually do something better?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think that it's the other thing that I find really interesting when you look at the list of Asian countries and how it really includes Southeast Asia, the Middle East, when you're listing off, especially Middle Eastern countries. And I'm, I was like, wait a minute, this is their Asian too? You don't realize this. You don't mm-hmm. think about it because they look dramatically different. Right. And that I think to me is something that is an education piece that, that we
1: leave out of the narrative. Yeah. And probably should be talked about
0: more. Yeah.
2: It's hard. I I will admit that. Like, I have to make conscious effort to recognize West Asian countries are still Asian. Mm
1: -hmm.
2: And this is me, the, the guy who works in Asian American community stuff for such a long time now, right? It's because, like, how it's start understanding like how we're classified and how we're put into like these blocks. For example, the black community, right. They were robbed of their homeland country title name. Mm -hmm. Right. And so we have to understand that part. Asian is, we were, we came here separately based on like United States needed like easy, cheap labor. Right. And once we start doing well, we're like, you guys are becoming too powerful. Let's get rid of you. Oh, we bombed a whole entire section of Southeast Asia. Now we feel bad. Let's bring these people over. All right? And th- all that you have to recognize. Mm. And that's when you start realizing it's like that's why we have to look at like what are the narratives that are being projected onto us and then right. how we step back and recognize the consciousness and be like, "Ooh, how can I see the group dynamics, the human relations and all this and make a give myself a better clearer picture." So mm-hmm. in this case, right? The Middle East, I'm always trying to recognize that, okay, this is an Asian community, but why does that? I always seem to feel like it's not conscious enough for me to conclude that. American politics create Asian American politics because East Asian groups had to gather and say, we got to do something about it. Filipinos, depends on where you're at, right? They're Southeast Asian or the Pacific Islanders. They were in the fray as well, and they jumped into it and they recognized, hey, we got to organize. And so the only way to get voice and power is put in this group. Problem with that is then we then start losing this unique distance for each community because we had to assemble under the title Asian American. I feel like someone's going to get really angry for me saying that, but, <laughs> but it's like, it's, it seems to be the trend. Like we're under this banner now, Asian Americans, and we just, we don't have enough patience to dig through those stories.
0: Yeah. It's sort of the, the paradox of we need to band together to have numbers to shift the statistics or to shift the societal view but we also need to maintain our individual cultures and our individuality and i think another thing that i find really interesting is a college or a couple of colleges who had decided to take asian off of their like their dynamics and kind of lump asian people in with white people And say, you know, if you're Asian, then you're white. So affirmative action doesn't count towards you. And we can use the statistics of your test scores and and those kind of things to kind of bump up the the white graduation rates and, and, you know, testing and, and that kind of thing. And it's sort of like we can use different groups when it's convenient for us. And I, that makes me also think about how Hispanics and Latinos are, their race is white, and then their ethnicity is Hispanic or Latino or, you know, Hispanic. So how that can be used to boost the whiteness the, and the white majority, but then when it comes down to it, you don't really get all the privileges that you get from having white skin or to say, you know, hey, your whiteness is good. I'm going to use your adjacentness to whiteness to benefit my statistics. And then I'm going to hold back the privilege from you when we're no longer benefiting.
2: Yeah. I I, I would love to see someone do research on this one, but my current theory has to do with that. The more closer you are to whiteness, the more valuable you are. And that's like an ingrained bias that has been with us for centuries. And it's funny because you said that, right? It reminded me of these two cases that exist in the United States, right? One was an Indian person saying, I am from this area, right? That's like where where the Aryan race came from. And this is from South Asia. So therefore, by origin, I am deemed white. U.S. Supreme Court says, no, that doesn't work, right? Because your skin color is not white. And then I think it was like maybe a little bit before. After that, the Japanese person says, Because my skin color is so light and white, therefore I am white. No, you're, you're from Asia. Right. And so based off skin color or origin, it's like, you're like, it doesn't work for the argument. Right. U S has continuously like gatekeep access to power and privilege.
0: The gatekeepers make the rules so they can change them whenever it it Uh benefits them. Yep.
2: Yeah. And that's why I, this is actually why I go into back into this work is like, um, I'm more for just world, equitable world. So I'm in it for the long haul. And that's why I want to do this leadership work because it's not about like these businesses and leadership coaching where I teach you, like, what's the right thing to say? How do you communicate to, while the audience, right? It's having a world that's where we're more holistic in our approach. Because once we start building that up, I think our world's healthier
0: that way. Mm -hmm. Can you just explain kind of what that looks like I wonder if saying, you know, kind of this holistic approach is something that might kind of pass over some people. They maybe won't understand. I know my grandmother would be like, what do you mean by this? So.
2: Right, 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 right. So before USD, when I think holistic approach, I think of like mindfulness and yoga.
0: Are you like <laughs> Yeah, like herbs and not using traditional yeah. medicine. Yeah. So
2: maybe this is better because I, I follow like Ignatian spirituality and there is this thing called cura personalis. And the idea is like it's the care for the whole person, but I like to take that to like the care for the whole community. So mm-hmm. I don't know what's the word, right? Care of community, and it's mm-hmm. the care for the whole parts, the whole system, right? And so we we're talking earlier about like making sure that uh, we have higher punishment for hate crimes. I'm like, that sounds good, but recognizing the system now is that. The people who are perpetuating the crimes against asians may be from the black and brown community and we have to recognize that a lot of this like is being pushed because of desperation out of poverty not having access to things that make our life better because the gatekeepers Mm. change the rule policies would be like for example more on okay we have to educate i guess the first level right it's like asians are not easy targets they should not be targets and recognize that they're human beings, right? Uh-huh. And then recognizing, teaching that in the Indigenous community, in the Asian community is like, hey, the black and brown folks are marginalized, continuously pushed down as well, right? And how do we bring in community care and work together, but still honoring each other's story and our hardship, right? And trying to see what we can do to share the resources with each other. Okay. And so that's what I mean by holistic, right, is that that level. But also holistic would be, for example, start with education, Right, Make sure we have right leaders, representation in terms of like quality leaders. We had a big guy in San Jose and everyone was like complaining, like we just lost the last Vietnamese person from city council, right? And back my head is, I heard really negative things about this person. This person didn't do a good job. I'd rather have someone who is in power and privilege, who is on the side of equity versus someone who looks like me and do nothing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. And those are good nuances where a lot of people don't understand. Like we can all work for each other, but if I have someone who looks like me who continuously oppress and perpetuate racism, we're in trouble.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And we've talked about this with the black community before, having, you know, kind of like the Candace Owens and the Ben Carsons of the world who oh, dear. you mm-hmm. know do more damage than good. And so kind of, yeah, making sure that the people who you're putting in power, you're not just putting in power because of how they look. But Mm -hmm. also because of how they perform and what they believe in stand for.
2: Yeah. And I'm and we're gonna be we have to be honest, it is not easy work. A lot of this is based on convenience. Like we try to get things done out of convenience, Mm -hmm. but we also need to start practicing more of the long haul type of thinking, right? For Mm -hmm. a greater future. Mm
0: -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And
2: being able to let go of that and pass on to the next generation. So passing our values and our leadership and our greater, our greater values. Right. And I have no intention of like solving racism in my lifetime, but I have every intention to build and catalyze leaders to have more holistic approach for a better world.
1: Yeah.
0: It makes me think too. I don't know if I've mentioned this in the podcast before, but I've been watching a lot of old survivor episodes. And one of the things that I, Saw in an episode, there was a woman who was Asian, and the other cast members were giving her a hard time for eating parts of the. I can't remember if it was a chicken or a fish, but it was you know some animal they were eating, and she was eating parts of that animal that white people especially don't eat, and they were teasing her for it. And she was like, "I'm getting all this. They're saying I'm gross and and I'm dirty." she's like, but I eat this at home. Like this is Mm -hmm. part of my culture to eat the liver or the heart or, you know, whatever it is. And she's like, and that's problematic. And it made me really think about how we other people based off of their cultural differences, rather than trying it for ourselves. At first I was really afraid of Asian food. I'm not going to lie to you. There was like smells and textures and things that just, made me nervous. And having the the real pleasure of being friends with somebody who's Chinese and having her take me to different cultural festivals. And she's like, try this, (laughs) you know, eat this, try this, let's eat this. And I've tried so many different things. But I think realizing that we need to try to appreciate each other's culture and try to eat the the food that looks different to us and get to know each other on a very personal level because that opens up our connection and helps to are really like halt the othering. You know, it's really hard to other somebody
1: that you relate to, that you're friends with, that you love. That that reminds me of that quote from Brene Brown that Lori always says that people are hard to hate close up from Yeah, close up. So move in. Yeah. I love that we can have these conversations and I love that we can talk about this and be very cerebral and that we can also, you know, push in. But I I feel like where are the actionable steps? Because if we keep talking, there's lack of movement. Mm -hmm. And the conversations are good. We need to learn and I'm saying this to myself as well, because we're talking, but what you said is putting a step that, I mean, we're also obviously in a pandemic, so be safe, but once this is passed, we, this is something you can do, is to learn and move into someone, not move into someone's culture, but move into learning <laughs> about somebody else, and I I mean, for me, food, everyone wants to eat, you know, mm-hmm.
0: that's a great
1: step, but even like, you know, drive an hour, drive two hours, try something new, step in, step out of your comfort zone. I just love mm-hmm. that—that's a, a, an actionable step. Yeah, so thank you.
0: I feel like I love to push people's boundaries. If you've never tried sushi, then we're going on a sushi date. <laughs> you know, <what> I mean? <laughs> and I don't care if you don't like it; we're gonna try it. But I think that is something that's unique in me, and a lot of people are like, "Well, if they're not gonna like it anyway." why would I bother trying? Or if they're not going to appreciate it anyway, then I'm not even going to go for it. Um, and I think that that, that holds us back and that's a detriment.
2: Yeah. I, I mean, those are really good, like beginning steps, right? It's like finding easier access point to help each other get to know each other. I love that quote, Kendra, you mentioned uh, Lori uses. Yeah. It's, and it's funny. Cause like I was teaching this leadership class years ago. Right. And the conversation was about, you know, like, you know, love God first and love your neighbors, right? And I'm like, all right, so these are the two big rules in the commandment or in the church, right? So
1: uh-huh.
2: who's, who's the hardest to love? And someone's like, oh, your enemy, right? I'm like, okay, cool, who else? And someone says, like, my parents. I'm like, ah, ha, ha, ha. did they ground you again? Actually, in <laughs> Vietnamese cultures, it's more like, did they whoop your ass? Yeah. <laughs> but I threw it out there, which was the hardest people to love are the people you don't see as human beings and in the invisible. Uh-huh. But as we get closer and closer, right, we become friends, right, they're way, way easier to love. And it's funny because there's, like, this quote that organizers in, like, the Asian-American community, they know. It's called, no history, no self. No, as in, like, I don't know history, then there's no sense of self. So no history, no self, right? Mm -hmm. Then my brother, when he was also doing these leadership work, he was, like, no food, no family, I think that's like a very good beginning step for that. It's like,
0: mm-hmm. how do we I love that. Oh, God. I love that phrase too. Cause it, it can go both ways. If you have no food, you have no family. If you know your food, you know, your family.
2: I appreciate mm-hmm. that.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: I also want to kind of like go back to a little bit. Like Kendra was saying, you know, what can we do? Right. There's a time for talk, 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 and it's time for action. Yeah. And I want to throw it out there too. In the podcast, it's like, I've done the work enough to know there are a couple of actions that can be done. If people, are working in higher education spaces, right? Encourage cultural awareness, whether it's some kind of education, right? Don't let Black History Month just be a month only. Make it a whole like year long. So support that community, right? And then also, guess what? Now go, oh, Jeff, we got to do the Latinx community. All right, sounds good, right? And don't stop there. This is where the challenging, Bringing the consciousness that there is an Asian community and they need support, whether they're international students or they're born in the US. Yeah. That's in the higher education space. Uh. The corporate space, I've been doing some trainings and like helping orgs. Same thing, right? Whether it's like an event, right? Whereas like awareness, but there's also different like employee resources group, right? Where donate, not donate, but give money to them so that. They can run events, whether it's getting to know their Asian American history, bringing in like prominent Asian American speakers to talk about a book maybe they have written, talk about their experience, what it's like to grow up. We're thirsting for that. And that's starting to show up a lot. So Mm. that's one example there. If you're not a decision maker, right, make some noise, gather people. My personal message to the Asian community who are working in tech, there's a lot more of you who are desiring this than you think. Have the conversation, start the conversation, and you'll be surprised—you're not alone. Yeah. A lot of times, Asian folks—they just feel like they're alone. Yeah, yeah, and oh, and the last one, on the civic level, right? Three action items because the people are like, you know, everything what's going on in society. Can we do something? My team and I we're already figured out there are three action items. Right, just the beginning, not the, like the end all. One is creating safety, public safety awareness, right? Whether it's recognizing where are the danger points, so parking lots, banks, stores traffic stops, like the crossroads right, are dangerous spots for elderlies, right? Being awareness to that, right? And saying, we demand a better study and better like policies and rules to like protect our elderly. in this case. yeah. Mm-hmm. And then there's legislation, right? Making sure that there like laws are passed. It's like, Hey, we're not going to allow hate crime to be a thing, but we also recognize that the legislation needs to be restorative, making sure that we're continuously like pushing for ethics studies, a lot of people mm-hmm. are fighting studies right now. And I'm like, no, 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 no. We need ethics studies to understand our history so that way we don't come in blind. Mm-hmm. And the last one is like representation, good representation.
1: Mm-hmm. So yeah. like those
2: are steps in different sectors that people can take actions on right away.
0: Love yeah. It. Love it. I love that.
2: A lot of the work I do has always been about my like my personal being, right? It's about thinking of like taking care of the people around me.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And as I guy I've done more and more work and I'm like having a desire to do bigger things for the community, right? it's showing up in my activism work and my organizing work and my leadership work. Right. And that's what we If We can start at the very beginning. Right. Okay. And agreeing that, that this is actually good for our culture to have a community care mindset. It will start bleeding into like, Oh, you're struggling. Let me, what can I do to support you? Right. Yeah. And I'm not talking about individual one-on-one, right. I'm talking about like the Vietnamese community to the Chinese community mm-hmm. and to the black community. And then to like the, community that doesn't even have a country to name it after kind of thing. Right. And so being able to recognize that it's like it starts within us, but it also perpetuates and let it grow.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. I love that. And I feel like this Mm. is just a perfect place to transition because you cannot practice community care without practicing self-care. Right. So Anthony, how do you practice self-care?
2: Okay. So I have amazing friends. One of my dearest friends, uh, she was also from Souls, right? We spent like a lot of time just like chatting, trying to explore what does intimate friendship looks like. And I learned a lot. And the one, of the first thing I ever learned, and it was like such a weird thing was that I'm used to watching sunset by myself, but one of the most favorite thing I ever she did was like, we we're just hanging out and I was showing around San Francisco. And she was like, don't meditate for me, with me for like 10 minutes. I'm like, we're watching sunset. Oh my God that's like so new to me right because before I was doing this a long time and she showed me that it was totally cool and okay to like extend to other people invite people in so sunsets are my thing uh, she introduced me to a men's mindfulness group and so that was another thing so I learned how to do more breathing and watch my thoughts and just see what's going on and then I'm also doing a self-compassion workbook right now right and so a lot of that is really looking at the different issues and challenges that may show up, like maybe like compete, not just limiting beliefs, but com- competing beliefs. Right. And seeing like how they're competing for my attention and time and be like, Hey, this is not healthy. Let me pull this back and say, what is it at work? And that kind of like self-care has been good for me because one, I love myself more than I ever have in the past years, acknowledging who I am and be like, man, Anthony, you're pretty awesome. I kind of appreciate you. And it's weird because all my friends are like, hey, you're pretty cool. I'm like, oh, thanks.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Why? Now I'm like, hey, you're pretty cool. Oh, thanks. I I, I, I kind of see that myself too. I really appreciate that. So there's like that. That makes me part. so
0: happy. Yes. Because <laughs> awesome. you are
1: awesome.
2: Yeah. I really appreciate that. Thank you.
1: And that goes to our last question and my favorite one to ask, which is what are you currently reading?
2: Ooh i'm a pretty bad reader i'd like pick up things what makes sense my one of my professor years ago was uh, i asked her like how do you choose which book and she goes whatever calls to the spirit pick that up so currently it's the self-compassion workbook that's like top of my list and i found myself also coming back to do the little prince
1: mm. oh i love yes. the little prince that is such yeah. a good one. Yeah. Someone was probably
2: listening and be like, I'm expecting some like profound leadership book or some like social justice workbook. I'm like, no. The but
0: little the prince. little prince kind of is a profound leadership book. It, yeah.
2: <laughs> true, true, true. It, it just reminds me to like be a kid and uh-huh. embrace that curiosity. And look at the human world, the adult yeah. world, the kid's world. Uh-huh. And approach it with that lighthearted, jovial sense of joy. Yeah. Because that's, I think that's going to help us move further into the future.
1: Yeah, yeah, love that. All right. Well, that brings us to the end of our episode this week. Anthony, before we close out, I just want to give you an opportunity to let our listeners know where they can find you and follow the work that you're doing. So go ahead and promo yourself.
2: Right. So I am transitioning out of the Asian Pacific American Leadership Institute, which is the work I've been doing. Um, I will be doing more work on uplifting the Asian community and community of colors. So, they can email me at Anthony Lay at PVTL moments.com. So, Anthony Lay at Pivotal uh, I think that's like the my new big direction, the transition, my pivotal moments in terms of changing the world for better and doing that with my community. And remember, Lay spells L E, but pronounce Lay as a legacy, as a legendary, as in legitimately your best friend.
1: yes love it thank you so much for being with us
0: yes thank you
2: thank you all for having me on this has been an honor
1: thanks for joining us new episodes drop every thursday on spotify and apple podcasts to join the conversation be a part of the community follow us on instagram and twitter at usdcla or email us at theadjacentcell at sandiego.edu. Can't wait to hear from you.